Sawabona, my friend. You may be wondering what in the universe does Sawabona mean and what is its significance to this podcast? Well, for starters, Sawabona is a South African greeting that translates to we see you. We meaning us and our ancestors. We felt the vibration of this beautiful word and greeting so strongly, and we hope you do too. We're Kelly and Nadine. As recovering perfectionists and people pleasers, facing our shadows and healing our trauma has been the single most liberating and loneliest quest we have ever encountered. Until that is, we met each other. That's when we discovered we were two sides of the same coin. Kelly's purpose is to awaken herself and others through her gift of experimenting with life and making leaps into the unknown. Nadine encourages us to indulge our senses in the delights of the material and spiritual realms. In this podcast, we will explore personal growth, parenthood, relationships, human design, midlife transitions, all things woo, and anything else you talk to your soul tribe about. Together, we're excited to share and embrace our own stories of awakening as we invite you, dear listener, to share yours. Our goal is for you to feel seen, heard, and embraced on this magical and sometimes messy ride of life. Our intention is to create a nourishing and inspiring community for those daring enough to awaken to your true authentic self and have fun doing it together. Salbona, Nadine. Salbona, Kelly. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be conversing with you today. Just the two of us today, right? Yes. Yeah, I was really enjoying my morning walk this morning. It is finally, finally feeling like spring here in Montana. And I intentionally was walking without my headphones in or without calling a friend or listening to a podcast or any of that. I just took in all the sounds like we had songbirds everywhere and there were people and their dogs and their kids. And it just filled me up. It just filled my soul, put me in such a good mood. It was warm. I was overdressed. And I just have to say that it's been kind of a rough couple of weeks. And whenever I can get myself outside and into nature and just really breathe in, it's like everything feels like it's going to be okay. You know, like doesn't matter what's going on. Nature always shows us that everything is perfect and it's perfect time. And there's so much to be grateful for. Mm, I love that. And I love the symbolism of what spring means, you know, just life and how you witness that on the trail and the nature and the song with the birds. It really, for me, just brings meaning to life and being so grateful to be able to experience the sunny day, the warmth, the breeze, seeing other people connecting. It's really beautiful. Yeah. It's been kind of a a tough couple of weeks emotionally. There's a lot's been going on and I feel like, at least for me, I'm kind of turning a corner, but I know that there's quite a few people that I've talked to in my life who have been having some, some struggles lately. We're, we're in mercury retrograde as well. So I definitely noticed some communication breakdowns and and some emotional highs and lows as well with people that are in my life, including myself. So just 
honoring that the universe has a great impact on us because we are part of it. We are of nature. And when sometimes things feel a little bit out of control or when our emotions feel a little out of whack and we don't really know why we can just recognize that we're part of the natural rhythms and waves of nature and give ourselves some grace and compassion. And also know that those dips, those, those lows that we experience, the hardships in life, they are always temporary, right? On the other side of those are always breakthroughs. They're always lessons to be learned, resolutions that come through that epiphanies, ahas, awarenesses that we hadn't seen before. And so if we can just appreciate that everything has its ups and downs, everything has its season, right? And first, like you said, it's spring. So we love what spring brings that freshness, that newness, that beauty, that this, the essence of it, the floral scents that come out when the trees are in bloom, all of that. It's just, it's a sensual time. I love during Mercury retrograde that we're supposed to pause. And sometimes we get so frustrated that there are roadblocks holding us back from reaching a destination or just finishing up a project. And those roadblocks are really meant to pause us. They're meant for us to be present. They're meant for us to take a breath. And so instead of getting frustrated at the fact that we got stalled, take a moment to appreciate the fact that we have an opportunity to just breathe and be still and be present because we never have enough time to do that. Mm, So yummy. I'm loving just kind of basking in what we've experienced so far in these first few weeks of spring and what I noticed too, as we're talking about this, and this is what we want to talk about in the podcast today is if you have teenage girls, you may notice that they too are very much in their nature of ups and downs, right? They're very much in that ebb and flow of hormones and emotions and attitudes and really super happy highs and really super crazy lows. And so I don't know how great of a segue that is. I think it's perfect. (laughs) I'm just thinking that, you know, teenagers are very much in their nature, right? And if you have teenagers at home, especially girls, I, we both have sons and daughters And I will say that I don't remember experiencing this so much with my son as I do with my daughter, these crazy, unexpected twists of their emotions and their reactivity in the day. Yeah, I I agree. And I don't know if it's just because for listeners who don't know, I am a twin mom of preteen girls about to turn 13. I have two identical twin daughters. And I just feel like I seriously have double the amount of drama, double the amount of stress, double the amount of intensity around their emotions. So for me, it's been really overwhelming to manage it, to be honest. And so Kelly, you've been like an amazing soundboard for me as I am experiencing this teenage the drama, the right? Word? It's like, it's just <laughs> drama. 
And it's, and it's a phase too. Like, I mean, I often remind myself as I'm witnessing my daughter, you know, who comes home and she's in a good mood. And then the next thing I know, something's happened and she's in the worst mood ever. And it reminds me of when she was a toddler, you know, Mm. it's like the same exact thing. Like they're fine. They're fine. They're fine. And then out of nowhere, tantrum, screaming, throwing a fit on the floor, kicking, yelling, crying, all of it. And, and you're like, what the hell just happened just out of nowhere. And it's the same. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they've regressed but they haven't. It's just a very similar type of emotional reaction that that takes place in teenagers. And like I said, I think I hate to be stereotypical. So, but it does seem to be more so in girls. And hey, if you have sons that are like this, please reach out and let us know and correct us. I in no way want to categorize by gender because there's always exceptions to that rule. (laughs) But this is my first time going through an, a teenage experience with a girl and other than myself and you know, yours as well. And you've, you've got, like you said, double the drama. So I was just mm. thinking of that. Remember that old commercial, the double mint gum commercial. Oh yeah. <laughs> when they had the, the song double the pleasure. Double the pleasure. For me, double it's the double fun, the stress. <laughs> double the, yeah, double all of it. And so, so yeah, so I always have double the compassion for you, my friend. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I have a son, I have a 15 year old son, and I have not experienced the level of drama at all. He's been such an easy child with him as I am experiencing with the twins. And I think that f- for twins, they're also hot in each other. It's like true sibling rivalry, but they're doing a lot together. They're in school together, they're home together, they're in sports together, they have friends together. So at some point when someone's in your face, as much as they are with each other, like you're going to just get tired of it. So I think that they reach that peak of I'm done with you and I need my space and don't know how to really express that. Right. Right. Well, and you know, they've probably been glued at the hip since birth or before birth, obviously. Mm -hmm. And the teenage years are a time where we develop our identities, our separate identities as sovereign beings. And that's why I think this time period is so difficult for parents of teenagers and even more so maybe for your twins, because they also are recognizing themselves as separate from each other. And given the fact that they're the same age, I mean, just the competition, the natural competition that must arise from from that fact. And it's a sensitive balance that we have to maintain very sensitive balance. Right. And they're unique, even though they're twins, you know, they're each unique individuals. We've talked about their different personalities, how they approach things differently, how they do things differently, how they communicate Mm -hmm. differently. So that's got to be a little bit challenging too, for, for them to say, you know, yes, we are twins and are like in a lot of ways, but we're also different in some ways. And we want to be honored for that too. Absolutely. They are reflections of each other. And I think that's part of the problem. They have someone to always reflect back to them. What they see in their sister is something that they have in themselves that they really maybe don't like so much. And so it's constantly being reflected back. And that could be a lot for a teenager or even a preteen. They're 12. So understanding their emotional capacity. Yeah. One of the things that I remind myself of often when 
my daughter seems to be out of her own spirit, you know, like she just seems like this monster that came out of nowhere, right? Like it's not her. One of the things that I try to remind myself of is that teenagers brains are not fully developed. I mean, just in terms of cognitive development, they have not developed their brains to the full capacity of an adult. And so if we're trying to operate from a place of, oh, well, I'm looking at somebody, they're big, they're big. They might be even taller than me. And in this case, like, you know, when my son grew up to six foot two, it was hard not to see him as an adult, like a full grown adult, but maturity wise, cognitively, they are not fully developed. And so don't be fooled (laughs) by if you have sons, their big muscles or their height or whatever, they, they still have a lot to learn and grow. And so we really must have compassion for them because of that. Their prefrontal cortex is where our cognitive ability takes place. Like that's where our executive functioning is. That's where our ability to make sound decisions comes from. That's where our ability to anticipate consequences comes from. Like most teenagers are just, they're not there yet. And in fact, I heard something the other day that that part of our brain actually doesn't develop until almost age 27. So it's, it's a while before that part of our brain is fully functioning. And so it just gives me a lot of permission to just understand that they're not fully there. They're still operating out of like their amygdala space, which is our survival function. That's where we go to fight, flight or freeze mode. That's where the emotional centers are. That's where their sexuality is hyperactive as well. So that's the part of the brain that's fully functioning and fully developed. And that's where they go to because they don't yet have the capacity to reach that part of their brain. That's not fully developed. So just a little, a little neuroscience for you. there. very, very rudimentary, but it really helps to give our teens some compassion when they're in their spaces and, and you can see it happening, right? Those moments when they come in the door and something's gone wrong at school or whatever, you can tell right away, their face tells you everything, their energy, their mood tells you everything about, okay, how am I going to respond to them today? (laughs) Does that happen to you, Nadine, when they come in the door from after school? Like, can you read where they're at? Absolutely. You read their energy. They come in and they're happy. They're come in and they're overstimulated. They come in and it's just like, oh my goodness, what is going on today? Or they come in with their head down and you just know it wasn't a great day for them. It's so clear to me being able to read their energy. And to me, this is good news. It's good news to be able to see right away where they're at. Now it's only good news if you don't take it personally. If they come in and they're in a bad mood and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I must've done something. I must've said something. They're mad at me. And as a parent, we take it personally, then that's when we're going to start to react in our own triggered way. I've experienced this. I mean, most recently, I just noticed sometimes they come in and if I'm having a stressful day and they come in, the two of them and they trigger me. They can trigger me for sure. And then that's when I know if I don't step out of myself and I just react that it could go down a very unhealthy path for everyone. Yeah. Because you could be just adding your own fuel to their fire. Mm -hmm. Right. And so 
that's why I say if we notice where they're at, because they tell us without using words, they tell us where they're at. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Again, like toddlers are the same. They're not good at masking their emotions. (laughs) And so they give us the temperature of where they're at in the moment. And if we can learn to stay in our own calm and our own peace in our own grounded space, then we're not going to add fuel to whatever they're bringing in the door or whatever's causing them to freak out in the moment. And that's where us being mature, emotionally intelligent adults and practiced, hopefully at being grounded and being calm can stand in our presence and our strength and give them that containment and that space they need to be flying off the handle without making the whole family fly off the handle. Well, that all sounds fine and dandy, but the reality is that we're not perfect. And so I guess I think more oftentimes than not, if we are under our own stress or we're taking on more than what we can actually handle, it can really spill over into our children. And so my question for you is, how would you suggest a parent handles a situation where it's gone too far and they didn't have the capacity to hold the space for their child's like just negative energy? So they have so much going on in their own life, right? But then they step back and they have the awareness now, oh no, I should have seen the writing on the wall. And sometimes it's just about being more compassionate and giving them attention and giving them love and just saying, you know what? I know it sucks. You're having a bad day. And so are there any tips that you can share with our listeners that would help them in a scenario where it's gone too far? (laughs) Everyone's upset. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it happens. It happens all the time. Even the best of intentional parents can lose their shit every once in a while. Right. I mean, we all have a line and sometimes when that gets crossed, all hell breaks loose. So firstly, having compassion for yourself as a parent is huge because what we tend to do is once we are beyond the situation and everybody's kind of cooled off is we start to feel guilty. We start to Mm. feel really bad because we're the parent and we should have held it together and we couldn't and we lost it. We lost control. We went into our amygdala space. We went into our lizard brain and just started to go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. And so having compassion for ourselves first and foremost is huge. And it is probably the hardest thing for parents to do. Guilt is good in, in that it helps you take responsibility and hold yourself accountable to your behaviors and your actions, but it's not good to hold on to. So notice it, see it, admit to yourself that you didn't act in the way that you really wanted to from your heart. And then, you know, what is so powerful for kids is when their parents can apologize to go Mm -hmm. back to your teenager and just be like, honey, I am so sorry that I lost it. That was on me. That was not your fault. And what a powerful example to set for Mm -hmm. our kids to be able to own up to our own mistakes and to be able to show that we're not perfect. Just like you said, kids don't need to see us as perfect human beings. They need to see us as compassionate to ourselves, being able to own and be accountable to our behaviors. And that's the best thing that we can show them. And to be able to repair, I mean, that's in any relationship, right? Is to be able to have conflict And then how you repair it is so critical. 
And so that apology, that coming back together, that reconnecting, that hug or the I love yous, those are so, so important. So that's what I would say is if you're on the backside of a fight or a meltdown on both parts, parent and child, just give yourself some grace and make the apology. I think about Mm. how impactful it would feel to me to have my own mother say that she was sorry, even years later for the times that we've had conflict. Hearing that from her would heal so much in my own inner child almost immediately. And I don't expect it to ever come, but you know, it would be really nice. So it just shows you the power of apology. I love that leading by example. And then on the other end of it, it's teaching your kids how to forgive the forgiveness. Absolutely. On both sides, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are really good at forgiving us when we own up to our own mistakes and our own tantrums. It's Um, how we raise emotionally secure humans. Yeah. It's not about not having conflict. It's not about everything being perfectly perfect all the time because relationships aren't that way. The closer we are, the more connected we are in relationships and the more authentic we are to ourselves, the more we're going to rub against each other, the more there's going to be some friction. It's in our ability and our tolerance and our acceptance of that friction. That is how we grow and how we become more connected to not be afraid of it. Absolutely. But a lot of us didn't grow up in an environment I'll just speak for myself. I didn't grow up in an environment where conflict was okay. So I grew up in a very avoidant household where if there was disagreement or conflict, everybody just kind of shut their mouths and moved on and hope it would go away. Big emotions were not acceptable or allowed. If you were crying about something, you were basically told to go to your room, deal with it, and then come out when you're done. That creates a whole lot of issues when you become an adult. And you have feelings and emotions and you don't know how to express them Mm -hmm. to your partners in life or people that you're close to. What we are hoping for with the next generation of kids that we're raising is, is to help them build that emotional resilience and that emotional intelligence. So in light of the emotional intelligence conversation, I have encountered a similar pattern that I would love to get your support around. What I have noticed lately with my twins is they tag team me and they're very, very, very persistent. And when they want something, one will start with asking for it. And if I say no, then the other one will pop in and that other twin will just ask for it and they don't stop. And so I am having a very difficult time around what I'm noticing to be creating boundaries with them. Because if I say no, I'm putting a story on what that means. I'm telling myself a story that maybe no means to them. It's translating to, I don't love you, or you're not worthy of that. And that's the story of, those are my my wounds. And so I have a really difficult time around one, knowing that when I say no to them, the emotional reaction that I'm going to get. And so they get sad, they pout, and they give me this face like, how could you deny me of what I desire? <laughs> and so I either end up caving in or I have mom guilt around sure saying no, and it doesn't make me feel good at all. So I really need some support around 
how to navigate either my boundaries or how to navigate saying no with my girls. Yeah. Well, first of all, again, you're in such a unique situation because though they are likely not doing this intentionally, like they're not co-conspiring against mom, right? Like I think just, they are. I know it feels like that, right? They're we co-manipulating our, me. We always think our kids are manipulating us and it's like, they're not that smart guys. They're really not. Mm. It feels like that because that's our interpretation of what's happening, right? Mm. It's our perception of what's happening. And we know what manipulation feels like and adults do it to each other all the time. But kids are just being kids. They have their needs and their desires and they're going to ask for them. That's their job. And they're an example to us for that. If we can Mm, appreciate the fact that they are honest enough to express what they want and what they need and be persistent in the asking. I mean, Mm -hmm. wow, I would love it to relearn how to do that. Right. But that's a whole other, that's a whole (laughs) other thing. Right. But appreciating the fact that they feel comfortable enough to be authentic and real with Mm -hmm. you about their wants and needs. Now, that being said, there's something in you saying no, that triggers you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. There's something in that, that is triggering you. And like you said, your story. So I'm curious to know what your story is around setting boundaries, because my, my guess would be that this is not just with your girls that you have a hard time saying no. Mm. Well, as we know, I am a recovering people pleaser. And I think my story growing up, I too was in a very similar environment where I just did not feel seen and heard. And I was not even allowed to have emotions. Like I had to deal with it on my own. And I was taught that emotions didn't represent strength and we had to be strong in our family. I'm getting emotional. I don't know what's going on. Okay. That's okay. This is the teenage years for most of us were a really hard time as we were discovering our own identities and how we interacted with the world and what was okay and what was not okay. And when we experience them for the second time with our own kids, it can stir a lot of those same memories or things that our body remembers emotionally, the emotional suppression that we experienced, the holding back and not asking for what we needed and wanted because we knew we weren't going to get it. So just know that sometimes the kids' emotions can stir those up in us because of what we experienced as kids too. Like, even though it was years and years ago, it can feel like it was yesterday that we were going through what they're going through. I feel triggered in a way where my kids, they ask for what they want without any question, just very authentic. And I get resentful because I wasn't allowed to ask for what I wanted. And so sometimes I'm like, who are you to ask for what you want? I didn't get what I wanted. Right. It sounds to me like you want to give your girls the things that they want because you didn't get what you wanted Mm -hmm. and you weren't allowed to ask for it. And you're feeling like as a mom, like you want to repair that by kind of doing the opposite. Yeah. By wanting to give them what they want and wanting to say yes to them and wanting to fulfill their needs and wants. I mean, that's pretty natural too. 
I want them to feel seen and heard, you know, and I don't want them to think that what they wanted, it was a desire that they weren't worthy of. Right. Right. So your guilt again is coming from a place of positive intent. You want your daughters to have a different experience than you had. And you also at this time in your life want to be able to have your own healthy boundaries because we don't always get what we ask for. Mm-hmm. And kids can want and want and want, but that's the reality of the world. You can ask, and sometimes people are going to say no. And that's a lesson that everybody needs to learn. They'll need to learn that mom has boundaries because I know from our conversations, a lot of it has to do with your time and attention. Some of the things that they ask for are things that are just more than you can give in that moment. Mm-hmm. And you have a right to have your boundary around that. Your job is to know what's okay with you in the moment and what's not okay with you. And to also be able to authentically express that to your girls. And so you being able to have a boundary, express what that is with them, and then allow them to have their emotions about your boundary without having that set you into a tailspin of guilt is really the work that is your awareness, you know, just being in that awareness of it's okay for them to have big feelings and you can be the container, the space holder for those big feelings and have Mm. the empathy for them being disappointed, you know, being mad at you, not taking that personally. They're allowed to have the feelings around your boundaries. Mm. No different than if you were to set a boundary with a friend or family member, it's no different with kids. I love this advice because I feel like it goes back to teaching them that it's not our job to manage someone else's emotions. And I managed my mother's emotions my entire life. And now that I'm reflecting on that, that's probably another trigger for me as well. I don't want my children to manage other people's emotions. I don't want to teach them that it's not their job. So mommy has to figure out her own stuff when she gets triggered and be able to come back to center and understand that, okay, shit happens. I got triggered, but be able to communicate that to them too. I think that it's important that we have these conversations with our kids. I don't think they're too young to pass on some of the emotional intelligence that we have learned as adults now. Yeah. Like that's how they grow into emotionally stable adults is by having these conversations now with the awareness that we have. And you setting a boundary for yourself for whatever reason that it is may set them into an emotional tirade and that's okay. I mean, expecting it is helpful. Like if you expect that your boundary is going to send them into a tailspin and you know, that's coming, then you can kind of prepare yourself for that and wait to have those conversations when that is over. I think a lot of parents make the mistake of trying to, whether you have a toddler or a teenager, trying to have a reasonable conversation with someone who's in an emotional breakdown is totally ineffective. (laughs) You're never going to. Well, I love the saying that when our emotions are high, our intelligence is low. And that's the truth. That is absolutely the truth. And I think that's what's been happening with this pattern, being in the discomfort for me to see them have such high emotions around 
me saying no or not now or not delivering what they want with instant gratification. This generation wants instant gratification. And so if they don't get it, they do go into a little tailspin. And so it's been really, really uncomfortable for me to witness them with their emotions. And not only that, it is hard for us to see our kids in distress. It's just natural and normal for us to go into fix it mode or pleaser mode or take away their pain mode. That's what we want to do as moms, especially. And it makes us very uncomfortable to see them in distress. And then if we're the cause of it, oh my gosh, that's even worse. (laughs) So how can we start to be comfortable when our kids are uncomfortable training ourselves and being aware? And a lot of that, again, comes from not taking it personally. (laughs) Their emotions are their emotions Mm -hmm. and they are separate from us and they're not about us always. And when they are, we can apologize for the things that we've done that might've hurt them or caused harm. And I think Um, that it's really healthy for us to support them during these emotional breakdowns so that they don't suppress them and they don't feel like it's not okay to have these emotions. And so thank you for that gentle reminder. Yeah, it is absolutely our job to make sure that no one on the planet, and that includes our kids, is allowed to treat us in a way that is disrespectful or harmful or hurtful. And that's on us. It's on us to know what is acceptable to us as far as how we're being treated and to draw the line when necessary. The flip side of that, and I'm just going to play another perspective here, is that parents can say no for a lot of no good reasons. I'm not saying this is you. I'm just saying sometimes parents say no, just to get kids off their back, just to Mm -hmm. diffuse a situation or just because it's kind of their default answer to everything. An inconvenience. It's convenient, right? Kids have a hard time with that because anytime you say no to a kid, just flat out, no, it's going to incite a power struggle. Mm -hmm. I don't care how old they are, but as they get to be teenagers and they're going to want more and more autonomy and more and more authority over their life. And it's our job to start to give them enough trust to do that. And if we're continuing to say no to everything, they're going to continue to resist us. So we've got to use the no powerfully. That's got to be rare. And again, if it comes down to a personal boundary, that's when you use the no. But if it's just arbitrary, like pick your nose wisely. This is the pick your battles kind of a thing. And as they get older, as teenagers get older, we want to be in less battle with them. We want to give them more rope. And so I like to try to give choices to kids. Like if whatever they're asking for, it's a negotiation. It's everything that they're asking for is a negotiation. It's an opportunity to open a conversation and a negotiation. So maybe what they've asked for is a little more than you can give, but Hey, what can you give, you know, and you try to meet them somewhere where there's a win-win for everyone. And that's where they're going to learn the negotiation skills that they're going to use in life. We all use negotiation in life. It's very rare that you get to be an adult where somebody flat out just tells you no, without some sort of conversation around that, without some sort of coming to an agreement. So the teenagers are a really good time to start fostering that negotiation. Mm. And, and building those skills 
and giving them a little bit of authority in what's happening in their life. And that's hard for parents to do sometimes because we're so used to controlling their environment. As they enter the teen years, it's, it's time for us to start letting go a little bit. What a great conversation. Thank you, Kelly, for creating space and supporting me and allowing me to even just reflect on the scenario with them. I appreciate that. And hopefully our listeners too, hopefully we were able to support you if you are in a similar situation with your teen or preteen daughter or son, that this will give you a different perspective, shine some light. Absolutely. I think there's just a a few little tweaks that we can make as parents that can really make a huge difference in our ability to connect with our teenagers and to nurture them into their world as they become young adults. It's really their job to start to separate from us, to start to figure out their own world, to have their own experiences, to make their own mistakes. And if we can allow them to fall down and get some bumps and scrapes along the way and be there to support them and hold them and nurture them when they come home, then they're just going to be more prepared for the real world when when it's time. I'm a big fan of teenagers. I really, really am. And when they are acting out and they're in their moods and stuff, it's just because they're trying to communicate with us and they don't have the tools. Mm -hmm. So if we can understand their language and meet them where they're at, everybody's going to be better off. Mm, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate all the parents. And especially as this episode will be landing right before Mother's Day weekend, celebrating all of you lovely women and moms out there. Yes. Um, It's such an important job and oftentimes so underappreciated. And so we want you to know that as moms ourselves, we appreciate you. And I see so many moms who are just doing amazing things and changing this dynamic from generation to generation Mm -hmm. of parenting and showing up more consciously, showing up more intentionally, showing up with more heart and authenticity Mm -hmm. on purpose. And it's just really inspiring and it's really encouraging. And it gives me a lot of hope for our kids and their kids too. Mm. We celebrate you. Let's talk about the card that was pulled from the Oracle deck. Yeah. So today we pulled a card from the Lightseers Tarot. It's by Chris Ann. It is one of my favorite decks. It's a very vibrant deck, very colorful, beautiful pictures and images. And so this is a traditional Tarot deck, and this is the Four of Wands. And the image of it is of two women, one is older and one is younger. So it's very appropriate. And they're clearly dancing. One's shaking a tambourine and there's a festival tent in the background. And they're just really embracing each other, engaged with each other in their beautiful celebration of femininity and that mother daughter connection that can be so beautiful. So Finding the gratitude for those times when we can connect with our daughters. I know with my 14 year old, when she's open to having those moments with me, man, I am soaking them in. Mm. I am just cherishing every second because they're not as often as they used to be. And she's a busy girl and she's got a lot going on that is away from home now. And so whenever she is fully present with me. It's a total gift. It's a total Mm. gift. So this card is just about celebration and it's about connection and it's about your family and being together and just being devoted to 
fostering connection rather than division in our homes. And so if your compass is for connection, then I feel like we'll always make the right choice and the right Mm -hmm. decision with our kids. Perfect. So that's all we have for you today. Happy, happy Mother's Day to all you amazing moms out there. And we look forward to next week's episode with you. Happy Mother's Day. Until next week, Sawabona. Sawabona. If you found this episode relevant and interesting, I want to let you know about a unique opportunity designed specifically for moms who have daughters. Moms of girls have unique challenges as parents. As they transition from playful little girls to awkward teens to independent young women. The transition is not only hard on our daughters, it's hard on us too. We may recall this time in our lives as one of confusion and insecurity. And if we had a rocky relationship with our own mom, many tough memories may surface while we go through it all again from the other side. But we don't have to go through the hormonal mood swings and the shifts in our relationships with them alone. As a mom of a teenage girl, I know that connecting with our maturing daughters can be really hard. So I'm starting this membership community for this very reason. I have a vision for a community of moms that support, encourage, and lift each other up during these tough times with our daughters. A place where we can come together to build our girls and our own confidence as we help them navigate puberty, relationships, sex, school, social media, body image, and more. If you desire a deeper, more honest, and authentic relationship with your own daughter, I invite you to join me in the village, where together we'll build a community of women who can lean on each other as needed to build deeper, more loving connections with our girls during this critical time in their lives. As a founding member of this brand new community, you'll have the chance to weigh in on the content, the resources, and the support that's needed for moms like you. And you'll have the added bonus getting in on the ground floor at the best rate. When you subscribe as a founding member, you'll get to keep this rock bottom rate for as long as the community is thriving. I'm only accepting a limited number of founding members before I open up the membership to the public. So if this sounds interesting to you, click on the link in the show notes to join and I'll see you in the village. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To join our conversation, share your journey, or ask a question for future episodes, please send us a voice message by clicking the button in the show notes or send an email to hello at weseeyoupodcast.com. And remember to follow us to get notifications of our newest episodes when they release. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you're listening from. Until next week. Sawabona. So